following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. We'll talk about, it, I guess we'll focus more on the general sale of Hametz, um, as opposed to the, what did you do my book? As opposed to, uh, we'll focus on stacks as much, we'll get to the stack part. But, so meaning that a lot of people have a problem with general the issue of selling Hametz, they think of it as a joke, and is it, it's what, in, in halachic terms they call it harama. Uh, is where we find uh, many things in halacha where well, we, we, in English language, I guess would be called a loophole or a subterfuge. But the truth is, it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. I Meaning, especially, I think people, especially I found more in more liberal circles like in conservative reform people, they don't get, if you don't understand that halacha and the Torah is a, is a real halachic system, so you're sort of saying, oh, it's not in the spirit of the law. You know, you're just trying to, oh, it's a joke, you're just getting rid of your hummets, you're selling it to the rabbis, you're just holding the joke. It's not in the spirit of the law. Even I found uh, people tell me, uh, you know, when you eat bacon, how could you eat bacon? How could you eat fake bacon? You know, I have this new incredible burger. It's not, uh, what do you mean? The Torah doesn't want you to eat bacon, so why would you be eating fake bacon? So it's very important to understand, and this is relevant to Mechir's Hamas too, that Torah is a science, just like any other. It's not just a legal system, it's also a science. So if the Torah tells you don't eat A, or don't own A in this case, so that's what it is. If there's a legal way not to own it, or you're eating fake bacon, faking or whatever they call it, um, or the Incredible Burger, so then you're, you're not in violation. There's no, the Torah doesn't, it's very important to know this as from people and not from people, like there's no separation between ethics and law and Torah. There's very little separation. I mean, if the Torah says something is legal, the Torah is a science, so if you, if you move the dot to a different place, uh, years ago, I, uh, I was giving actually a class in Beth Israel, someone, a kid asked me this, it was for teenagers, and he said, you tell me, uh, according to orthodoxy, your mother's not Jewish because she converted foreign conservative, whatever, whatever it was. So I said, he said, heck, you know, she kids, she's on the board of the Federation, she's born of this, how could you say that? So I explained to her, it's, it, the Torah is a, a science, it's, it's a science. So today we know if you send an email and you move the dot, you know, if you put the dot in the wrong place, you know, it bounces back. So the Torah is the same thing. If you put the dot in the wrong place, it doesn't work. So when it comes to conversion laws, in this case, chametz, as long as you legally do not own the chametz, it's not a problem. Torah says you can't own Hamas, as it says on the sheet there. So those are just three problems that you basically have to solve. Well, as you know, three, there's three biblical problems. Um, or, right, three biblically, three Isuri Deraisa when it comes to Hamas, and there's one which is the Rabbana, which is rabbinical. So the three biblical prohibitions are, one is everyone knows you can't eat Hamas, that's clear. Most Jews know that. But the, the one that people don't know as much, which is the same biblical prohibition, it's a Deraisa, and could be even it's a Karis, I don't remember, is, I don't think so, I don't think it's a Karis, but is um, you can't own Chametz, not Passover. So Jews now to own Chametz. That means whether it's in your uh, signing, whether it's, um, it's in your possession or not, it's not relevant, whether it's in your house, it's in a storage unit, it's overseas. If you own Chametz, like you're saying, if I own a franchise, it's not done. So that's a problem. I don't care where the franchise is. It's not you technically have possession of Hamas. That's what it, it's based on the positive Torah. There's two psukim. It's known as the Yisr Bal Yiram Bal According to most Rishonim, it's one prohibition. 
There's a prohibition of having chametz in your possession, and the Gemara understands the word your in these verses here, if you look at number one. It says, for seven days no leaven manner should stand in your sheet. For seven days no leaven manner should be found in your house. No leaven shall be eaten of yours in your, which, again, the Gemara understands it to mean your possession. Um, everyone should really sign in, because the state requires that, even if you're not an attorney. And no leavening shall be seen of yours throughout all of your borders. So, so that's very clear that we understand the word your means you can't own it. Okay, wherever it is. It could be in someone else's house, in your ex-wife's house. It doesn't make a difference where the chametz is. If you own it, you're in violation of this biblical law. Okay, and then there's a third answer. Go right. Is anything a country border? Or that no, just it means your, your home, your uh, property border. Property border. Yes. Um, although the state of Israel, by the way, does sell all the chums. The Rabbanut has a sale with one Arab guy. It's actually not an Arab, I think. Uh, there wasn't a Jewish guy that they're actually selling it to? There was a story many years ago. There was a case like <laughs> They found out the guy was going to bar mitzvahs and they asked him why he was going to He says, oh, my mother's Jewish. <laughs> he used to he like thought he was Arab? He thought he was a, no, not a Jew, not an Arab. Anyway, but the, so, so, uh, so the, the state of Israel does sell all of their chumets to some guy. We'll talk about that, but um, the bottom line is there's a, there's a third issue which is very important, people don't realize, it's called the Isra Hana, which means there's a, a prohibition to benefit from chametz. It's not only you can't eat it and you can't own it, it means even if you don't um, eat it or own it, technically, let's say you're, you're um, benefiting from chametz. For example, uh, you have your employees. Um, I was at a place yesterday. They told me they have a vending machine in their office where they sell to the non-Jewish employee. They don't close it. I said, you have to close it for Pesach. You have a vending machine. It has chametz. Even if you, let's say, don't own it, somehow you sell it with the chametz, but now everyone's putting in a uh, you know, dollar, a dollar 25, whatever it is these days, to buy their granola bar on Pesach. Those are your employees. So then you're benefiting. You're making profit on those granola bars. Sometimes it's not your machine though, you're just renting it and they get yeah, but you again, get you're getting profits, so then the you get a commission that's you're still not owning it though. That's that so that, that's a problem. If you're getting a commission from sale of comments during Pesach, that could be an issue. That could be a problem. So even if it's not yours. Because so not, that's not what I'm saying. Related. It doesn't have to be yours to benefit from. Another example would be uh, dog food. By the way, people, right. not that your dog is high to keep uh, to keep the laws of Pesach, but if you, um, if you are, you are benefiting by the fact that you're feeding your dog comments. And many pet foods, I don't know, I used to have a bird. We, we fed it matzah now on Pesach, and it's now all our shalom. Not a good thing to feed your bird. Get a matzah now and it drank, and it was the stomach pounded. You know, the wallpaper glue was edible and it was chametz. How do you know it was edible? You tried it? Either? My friend who owned a paint store told you. Told you because he ate it, he tasted it. Tasted it doesn't mean it's well, you know, he said it was edible. He said it's clearly edible and he knows that it's chametz. So, what, so what's the problem? You say you have to rip the wallpaper then? So the question is, if you're not over Pesach, you are benefiting yeah, from the fact that your so wallpaper is still uh, hanging. Uh, that's a little pushy. <laughs> I know if a dog would eat the wallpaper. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. well, this guy, he was human, and he uh, was curious what it tastes like. Our dog ate sheetrock. Are you still alive? <laughs> still alive. Uh, yeah. Shalom, shalom. Shakim l'chav, Yoshiach. Um, Thank you. I want, you want to invite it to see. I'll start. I'll take a break for two minutes. We'll thank you. Food. So, Rabbi.
rabbi, if the test is whether a dog will eat it, does the dog have to survive? <laughs> or just uh, be willing to eat it? It has to be edible. It's not a bad. You talk about edible comments as opposed to wallpaper, which... No, well, that's the edible for a dog. No, if a dog would eat it, it's edible enough. Even, if it's most, even a dog wouldn't consider that. It's yeah, it's not about... It, it, it doesn't have to be food. All, all year round... It's, there's a different level. Pesach, the, the bar is lower. All year round, the bar is, has to be edible for human consumption. Pesach, it's for dog consumption. Good. So, so the wallpaper should be a problem then. Dogs can eat it. Because, I mean, yeah, I don't know if dogs can eat it. They would eat it. A lot of times it's a flower paste glue. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't be worried about that. I don't call. You benefited from before Pesach. It's not like. Uh, I'm not sure that's called a benefit right now. That's the goal. It's a good question. I don't know. Uh, no one ever asked me that one. You like it? Fully loaded stuff. Okay, he's on a diet. Heavy in my in my office. I have uh, have a refrigerator there. I only have like a coffee, whatever it is. It's not just for the fish, I have the coffee, the creamer, and whatever. I don't know about it being having comments in it or not, but but my employees use the refrigerator and the microwave, whatever. I have nothing to do with that stuff. But do I have to like actively like? It's not mine. So some things are mine, but not. No, I'm saying, but they, they're you're open, Chama. They're going to be there, the employees? They're going to be there, yeah. They're going. Right, so it's technically, if it's there, if as long as it belongs to them, the food, my ammunition. Um, I mean, if they're bringing their own lunch, it's not your problem. But the fact that the refrigerator is there, they're in the microwave, they're using yeah, it, but whatever. it's fine. If they're, as long as the food, you have to get rid of whatever comments is in there. I, I would have from my yours, own, from mine. But I'm saying, but if it's there, it's not your problem. You're allowed to have a guy's comment in there. Um, it could be, you should put Sasana and comments and no one makes a mistake. There's no Isser, you, there's no Isser in having someone else's uh, guy's comments in your home. Uh, um, That's why you have your scotch, technically it's the same thing. Right. You sell your comments, right, right, right. the same concept. How come, uh, So what happened was, finally some, guy, as you're going to see in this video, Chabad works for the OK, I believe, basically decided he's going to take it on his own hands. He went and he waited, he found the guy's personal address, he waited in the lobby of this guy's building um, until the guy came out of the elevator. He waited for a few hours, finally the guy came down, I don't know why the doorman let him in, um, and then the guy still refused to see him. The guy went to dinner, he's going out to dinner with his wife and his, another couple, he came back and the rabbi was still waiting there, finally this point. Yeah, and this is the story. So this year, so finally this guy did it literally at the last hour. It was, it was sold out of Pesach. Mamish probably after this man already. Um, the guy finally agreed to the sale. Um, and he saved Baruch Hashem, saved all the Shalom Zachars, future Shalom Zachars, that were taking place in New York after, after Pesach. New York, So it was the first man, I think. It was like Mamish on the lot. It was like down to the minute. I don't know exact time. So this year, 
finally the guy realized what it is. So this is an interview of the rabbi sold the last year with the guy who just now this year is selling it. As you'll see, uh, Hashem is taking off the whole Pesach. So now, uh, so this is just an interview to show you. Um, my point here is that I'm going to show you also an interview of how the Chumas is actually sold. Because again, I told you I, I, I want to focus on the stocks because we already gave that class. We'll get to that part. But just to show you how serious, and that's the point, it's not a subterfuge. It's just something that's done according to laws of the state. It's a legal transaction, and in my sale of Chumas form, and I'm sure all the other rabbis in town have it, it's done. Mine was looked over by attorneys, contract attorneys, and it's done according to the laws of the state of Texas also. You have to make sure that it's a legal sale. Again, we try very hard, and that's why we do seven different Kenyanim, we'll see, to make sure that it's done, and there's no, there's no haram here. It's not being done. So this is the interview of the guy. I have to show you while you're eating. You enjoy me. Hello, how are you? Baruch Hashem, tell us about yourself, please. Well, first off, I, I am Simon Berkson, and I am the president and executive officer and founder of a company called Manhattan Beer Distributors. We are the largest beer distributor in New York City, uh, one of the largest distributors in the country, actually. But I didn't start, I wasn't born as a beer distributor. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's a seven-minute video. I don't want to show you the whole thing. It's boring. I can't see uh, and uh, I now have three wonderful children. They're all grown. I have one daughter and two sons. Uh, my two sons are in the business here with me. Uh, and I met Rabbi uh, last year, right around just before Pesach. Uh, I encountered this this Rabbi uh, who was sitting in the lobby of my uh, condominium in Manhattan. And I was told that he wanted to speak to me, and I had no idea who he was or what he wanted from me. And as it turned out, uh, he was very charismatic, and he convinced me to listen to him. And all he really wanted me to do was to make sure that I would take my beer and and go through a ceremony and the proper arrangements to make sure that I would get rid of the limits for the, ho for the holidays and make it where Jews can enjoy my beer if they could find it in the, in the streets, whether it be in Brooklyn or in Queens, in the stores from, from all the stores that we service and supply. And at first I didn't want to talk to the rabbi. I thought, quite honestly, he was just another rabbi looking to either convince me to be more Jewish or I, I don't know what he wanted. So we went to dinner. Uh, I was with my wife and my brother and his wife and we came back sitting very patiently waiting and very calmly insisted that all he wants to do is, is the right thing to the Jewish community. Uh, I What's guess, the name of the rabbi? <laughs> rabbi Calvin Weinfeld. 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 <laughs> Weinfeld. Sorry, Weinfeld. I spell it Weinfeld, it's Weinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and I said to the rabbi, okay, come to my office. If you're serious, come to my office tomorrow. And I was, that was my way of quite trying to see how sincere the man was. And sure enough, the next day, he showed up. With he, his friend. With his friend, yes. Mr. Sternberg. Yes. Uh, the rabbi convinced me or explained to me what was going on. I sort of knew, but I wasn't totally sure of the, the procedure. Uh, not only did he get me to sign or to sell my business for the holiday to a non-Jew, he also asked me if I would put on tefillin, which I had not done in over, in over 50 years. Uh, and I put on tefillin that day, and we danced a little bit, and we celebrated, we had a little schnapps together, a little, little Jane Bourbon, and that's the story of why we're here again today. 
Pesach, Pesach is approaching. It's uh, coming up April 19th. Uh, I want to make sure that the uh, that I do the right thing for the Jewish community so everybody can enjoy all of my products this year, as they always do. Uh, and I will be selling my business to Edward McBrien. He is my chief operating officer. Uh, he will buy it for me for, for the holiday. He will buy the business for me for the holidays. He'll pay me for the business. And then after the holidays are over, I'll buy the business back to my so who, who will make the profit of the business on Pesach? Uh, Ed McBrien will make the profits. He will run the business. I will go on vacation. The whole entire Pesach? The whole entire Pesach, yes. Wow. This is something special. So you're not going to be involved in the business and everything that comes in and the profit after all the expense on Pesach belongs to Ed? Yes. Wow. And this is what you did last year? Yes. Yeah, last year, honestly, I did not go on vacation. Yes, Just a little bit, you I said. I didn't realize I had to. Since I know about it now... <laughs> but you told me last year that a few days you took vacation. Yes, I did, of course. But yes. not the whole entire place. Yes, I took the first two days, yes. yes. But this time I'm going to take the whole week because it forces me to take a vacation and it's the right thing to do for the community. Wow. What happened the previous years that uh, a few rabbis said that they were trying uh, to arrange the same arrangement. You know, I get phone, I get phone solicitations, I get mail solicitations by the dozens. Today it's emails. Years ago it used to be you know regular mail. I get phone. Okay, you get the point. Yeah. So, uh, me, so bottom line is, so, yeah, I'm just showing this now. It's, I think it's important to understand. It's a, it's a serious sale. This guy takes it seriously. Literally now he leaves this company. You know, it's not a subterfuge. It's very important to understand. Now, by the way, it's another. I happen to have his book. It's called uh, Values Investing. An Omaha rabbi learns Torah from Warren Buffett. Um, I would not suggest to read the book. It's a terrible book. Nothing. Good. I didn't get anything out of it. There's no. If you're looking for a stock price. But um, in the introduction, he talks about how he's from rabbi. He wrote a letter. Um, to Warren Buffett, asked him if he would buy the community's chametz. He did it for the five for five years. He actually sold the Warren Buffett Omaha's chametz every year, and you know he was very excited to do it, etc. So this is another. Uh, um, even Warren Buffett invests in chametz during Pesach. He's a good investment. So I'm showing it, and it's done properly again. It's done in a serious way. It's not. Uh, so this is a book of anyone wants to look at it. Discusses the whole sale of chametz that he did with Warren Buffett. How it was done. Um, bottom line is, so let's, let's I, I, so I'm going to start from the beginning again. I wanted to initially focus on stocks, but let's start from the beginning of where this concept of selling comments comes from. So the original case, the original, the whole Makar, the original source is a Tasefta, which is in, in Masechta's Pesachim. It was a Tasefta that discusses that there were two rabbis on a boat, first Jews on a cruise, and, um, and they, they realized that they, they have to sell the comments. Um, they, that they have chametz, they can't throw it over because there's their food that they need after Pesach. They had the food with them, and they, so that's where they came up with this concept of they sold it, they made a contract, they sold it to the guy on the boat, and, uh, and that's the Tosefta says. Now, what's interesting is this Tosefta is not so simple, um, meaning it's very different. In the case of Tosefta, the chametz was with them. Um, number one is wasn't in a different location. Um, that was uh, number one, meaning the guy they sold to the guy and they gave it to him. So the guy took possession of the chametz, the non-Jew in that case, which is now what's done today. Um, number two is they were stuck on a boat for basically it wasn't a cruise. It wasn't a real cruise. Right? It was a, it was a little boat. They they had no choice. They were going to starve if they would throw their food overboard. Okay, if they would do actual beer chametz, little chametz, they wouldn't have 
they wouldn't have survived after Pesach. So um, that day for Pesach, they probably had the meal mark, you know, boxed food, I'm assuming. But uh, what's interesting is that, so this Tosefta is not Pasha at all. The Aruch HaShulchan brings it down in Halacha, and, and as we're going to see, many people bring Halacha and says you can do it today, even though you're, um, it's a Lechat Chilam. But course, there are many Rishonim who, this is a book that I happen to inherit from uh, a reform rabbi in town, a later reform rabbi in town, it's called Tosefta Kachuta. It's actually published by the Jewish Theological Seminary. Um, but it's, it's, uh, there was a famous story, I'm not going to get into the details, of someone, Shaul Lieberman, who was uh, head of the Jewish Theological Seminary, very came to America and needed a job at the time. So the, and this is in the 30s, he became the head of JTS, and he published amazing works. Most yeshivas won't allow it in today because it's published by JTS. Um, but this is, a, this is around the 50-volume work. He has Antasefta, it's a parish on Antasefta. Um, so he's a, again, he was a very, he was a Rashiv in Europe, very Chashviri. He was always from throughout his life. He just happened to work in JTS. He gave share JTS. So in this Tosefta Kapshuta, on this Tosefta, he brings various gearses that end off. First of all, some say address, he, he brought up a very good point. In other cases, for example, he brought up Pidyan Aben. If you do something called Matano Manasal Haksir, if you tell the person, tell the Khan, I'm giving you the money, but I want the money back afterwards, I want my silver coins. So that invalidates the transaction. So many people say, well, Pesach, that's what you're doing. The rabbi's selling the chametz to the thing. And by the way, it's important to understand, the rabbi's not, when you go to the rabbi, you're not selling your chametz. What you're doing is you're appointing the rabbi's power of attorney to sell your chametz for you. The rabbi doesn't want your chametz. He has the same prohibition as you have. So when you go, it's important to understand that you need to understand how the transaction works. You're not selling the rabbi your chametz whatsoever. If you look at the document, you're giving the rabbi power of attorney to sell your chametz for you. So what happens is all the rabbis in town actually use Rabbi Wender. Everyone sells, each rabbi sells their own chametz. Um, all the Orthodox rabbis, at least, they all bring it to Rabbi Wender. Rabbi Wender has one um, non-Jew that he sells his chametz to for the last 30 years. He was the same person. But he's the one doing the transaction. So you, even though your rabbi is not doing the transaction, your rabbi is not Rabbi Wender, you know, you're just giving him power of attorney. He then, I mean, Wender is the one actually doing the actual sale um, of the chametz. So you're not selling your chametz, you're giving power of attorney to the rabbi himself. It's important to understand that. Um, so, but, so the question is, why is it Matan Manasach? So you can, you can take, you're getting it back after Pesach. So that's what we call a gift with the, with the concept of with the stipulation, you're going to give it back to me. Halachically, according to most posts, can we pass that's not valid. Okay, so how does it work with the chametz? So the way it works with the chametz is, as we're going to see, the rabbi actually buys it back, I'm going to show you a video, after Pesach from the guy. So the way, the, the basic transaction, as we're going to see in the video, is the rabbi goes ahead, he, let's say everyone's chametz in town is worth $100,000. That might be a cheap price. It's a fire sale, as, as uh, as Warren Buffett said, that's why he was like the deal. Warren Buffett liked buying companies. He said it's a fire sale, getting an excellent deal, <coughs> buying the whole town's uh, scotch. And Rabbi Cohn, if you were at the session, Rabbi Cohn spoke about marijuana. So he actually mentioned there, he said it's a scary thing. The rabbis today um, is that it used to be you put many people to chumma to put the, the value of the chumma in your country. So Rabbi Cohn was saying it used to be a year or two ago. You know, five years ago, people put, you know, $100, $150, said he had a guy last year put in his contract um, the value of his liquor collection, of his liquor in his cabinet, was over $35,000. Okay, just, just his liquor. <laughs> from so times have changed. So this guy was selling whatever, I mean, liquor prices have gone up. Now they went up that much, whatever it was. 
Um, so $35,000, just this guy's liquor in Chicago, one guy. So Jews have a lot of money there. I don't know, I wouldn't spend on liquor, but it seems like people are. So, but the point is, so, so what happens, so the way it works is just a basic transaction to understand the way it works is you sell the guy your chum. This is not what happened to Sefta. It was very different times of changes, we'll see. But you sell, the ra- you're, again, your rabbi, you're giving him power of attorney, he goes to the guy. He sits down, he says, I have this whole pile of papers here. You know, whatever it is, 150 people, 200 in the community, and they all were going to sell you the chametz. He does the seven different kinyanim, just to make sure we're covering the legal, <coughs> legal ground, halachic ground. And then, let's say the prices he's charging him, uh, you know, whatever it is, $100,000. So he says, okay, give me a $10 down payment on everyone's chametz, and you have 30 days to pay off the rest. Okay, so he's giving, so the rabbi's giving it, and not the rabbi, the non-Jew is giving a $10 down payment, which validates the sale. And then the rest, and then we have to talk about that with the accountant, and how that works. It's a finance, it's owner finance, so to speak, in a certain sense, alone. And then after Pesach, the rabbi comes back and says, we want to buy it back. Now, the guy's prerogative, it's the non-Jew's prerogative to say he doesn't want to sell it back. He can keep everyone's comments. And then everyone would have to bring him their spaghetti and whatever else. After Pesach, um, drop it off, or you can come to your home. And that, by the way, it's happened. There was a case in Israel where a, a rabbi, a local rabbi, decided to do it himself. He went to some, he found some Arab, and and he sold everyone's chametz. And on Pesach, the Arab came knocking on people's doors saying, he "Wants to make a lechaim, wants the scotch." And they, legally, is 100% right. It belongs to him. He, they had to give it. They had to give it up to him. So it's a real thing. It's not again. It's not just a nice thing on paper. This is actually real. Um, sound like trading futures. This is real stuff. <laughs> um, so, so That's exactly like trading futures. <laughs> okay, so the, the point is, so after Pesach, the rabbi goes back to the, to the non-Jew, and he says, we want to buy back if the, Jew, the non-Jew agrees. So he pays him in a profit. He gives him, instead of the $10, he gives him $15. But it's really the price is $100,000. This is where it gets complicated, because the question becomes, someone told me yesterday, it's a taxable event. Because now, if I'm forgiving him on the on the other $149,900, which he owes me technically, the rabbi's forgiving him on what he owes. So then it becomes a taxable event, and then there could be a tax issue, which I don't know. I try to call him every Wednesday this morning to see how he does it. The tax issue was the wash sale, yeah. No, tax issue on the 100, I'm forgiving him alone. I'm forgiving him the hundred forty nine. But never got the money in the first place. Isn't, it, isn't it a default on the behalf of the of the buyer that he never paid a hundred thousand dollars? No, because if it's a default, then you own the chametz during Pesach, so it can't be a default. It has oh. to be that it was a hundred percent valid sale for that day, and now I'm making a new transaction, totally new transaction, buying it back. Because if it's just a default and saying, okay, default on the loan, that means that means retroactively, retroactively everyone has chametz on Pesach. It's what? It's owner finance. I mean, it's not an owner finance either. Why not? Because well, 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 something, it's finance. It's a finance yeah. loan, in a certain sense. So now, if I'm forgiving the loan after Pesach, well, whatever, he owes you, he owes you the money. Now you owe him. He the owes money. him the right. same hundred hundred thousand dollars. What do you say? Right, he owes you hundred thousand. If he received the goods, and he owes my that's right. He owes. Well, he did receive the goods. He owned it the whole Pesach. The fact that it was in my possession doesn't mean he didn't receive the goods. So he right, it's like I would, but then he gave it back. So I don't think that. No, it's like it used to be like in France when I would buy when you buy stock. You buy stock throughout the month. At the oh, end yes, of the like month, at the end of the month, you settle up. I, yeah. So you could buy, you could buy Apple all day long. You can yeah. sell Apple all day long. At the end of the month, you just settle up. You say, okay, I bought this number of shares for this amount of money. I sold that number of shares for that amount of money. 
and right. then you just settle up on one single day. But again, yeah, so legally it might work. The question is, is it a taxable event? It's, it's well, not a lot of questions. There's only one. The IRS now come to the guy and say, you have to pay 100. Someone forgave you this $100,000 loan. It's realized the person recognized. Realized means you ha you got the gain, but you never took possession. You never the sale was never complete. Well, sure it was. Again, if it no, wasn't complete, well, then like everyone was eating comments, and then everyone was violating value by value months. It has to be that the sale was complete. Same from the tax law perspective. Yeah, it's not considered a complete sale. No, it's because you're realizing. Well, what if I gave a down payment and I lent you the rest of the money? Of course, the sale is complete at the time, and I'm liable if, if my comments would kill a dog. The next door neighbor's dog, I, I'd be liable. Who would be liable? The guy or the year? That's the question. Same similar situation. I rent, I, I lease a car, or I buy a car with installment payments. Put down a thousand dollars. No, I bought. I said I said buy the car. A thousand dollar down payment, and then I don't pay, and they repossess it. Do I have to pay the the full value of the car in taxes? The use. The, the Just the amount that I, the benefit I gained. <coughs> so right. if it was one month, I owe one month. And an appreciation of the value of the car for one month. Correct. Right. Well, it's here the guy doesn't have any actual. Right. So if the guy didn't use, it didn't use the products, the then it's the same thing. If the guy had no it's a value transaction from. Is what it is. It's, it's, a it's a secure transaction. It's a yeah. transaction where you, the guy bought the chamis from you. Uh, before Pesach, you financed the transaction meaning that you gave him the money and you were expecting payments uh, the, by, de by him defaulting he's on the payments. He's not he defaulting. He's not defaulting. You're coming back and you're buying it back. He's not. Right, so default, you have 30 days to pay. You have a default. So you're like coming back two weeks when later. When you sell your house, when you no sell default. your house and you have all kinds of people, the towel company wants their money, this one wants the money, the, the person that owns the mortgage, that had, like the bank that had the mortgage in your original house wants their money. At the end, it's not like I give the mortgage company there, like, we all just come up with, at the end of the day, how much money do we each want? And the title company, the, the, transaction, the title company just cuts checks to everyone for the final amount that they're owed. Right, so is it taxable or not? So it's it's a again, it's not, a lot, it's not relevant it's to the question. It's a transaction. This is not a sealed transaction. It's two transactions, yes, but it's, the deal never closed. I mean, it closed, yeah, but it's it didn't close. If it didn't close, then we have a problem. Well, That's, no, it closed, okay. yes, but it didn't find, I mean, but then something happened where it's not like a sale of a house or a sale of a car. There's no final... Nothing happened. All that happened was the rabbi's offering to buy it back. Right. Because it's down payment. No, no, down payment, but again, there was no payments that were defaulted because the payments, he's not obligated to pay until 30 days. Right. But the taxable amount is just on the profit that someone makes. Right. So the $5, so that would be taxable. Meaning, meaning, so rabbi's buying it back now for $5, that's taxable, that $5. Yeah. But, but okay. not the full $100,000. No. Okay, I'm not sure. Never I, I don't know anything about accounting. So it wouldn't okay, be so <coughs> it's all, uh, never got the $100,000 to begin with. So it can't oh, be taxable. Yeah, no, it's no, but it's default. It's a loan. It's a loan forgiveness. It's a loan forgiveness. Loan forgiveness. Why is it loan forgiveness? It's he's buying it back. It's a wash. It's a wash. They're two offsetting sales. I don't know. In each instance, the balance is 30 days. The only thing that's changing hands is $10. What's the terms of the buy? Back and forth. The only so that's the thing. The so only I, I try to call it a lender because no rabbanim, no, uh, we don't care about the buyback because that's irrelevant to the chametz. And then one hundred. Only we're focused. No, I'm saying we're focused yeah. on the selling in seven kinyanim. The buyback, uh, you know, who cares? Because they have to pay some. That can affect. Could be a taxable issue, but it's not. But it affects the nature of whether we're actually playing a game or not. Meaning, if we're not. So the way I watched the video, I'm going to show you soon on YouTube. Then the mail it's right that the original transaction was. No, so the buyback. Back is done the same way, meaning there's a count, meaning they, it's the same price. He gives them a little profit, 
Um, but it's done the same way. There's the same kinyan and there's, there's a star, and it's done the same way. He buys it back with the star. So it was the same way it was sold. It seems like, at least from the video I watched um, just now, which I'll show you soon if we have time. So now, the, so getting back. If to you were to go bankrupt right then who, and there, the guy if the guy were to go bankrupt right then and there after the rabbi agrees to buy it back, then there could be an issue because now the rabbi would be have to pay the money, but the but as far as receiving the money that's owed, that would have to go. He would probably just be another creditor to one of the other bank. Right. So, so right. Don't, don't sell the company. Yeah. The, the whole thing, thing would be a preference item. <laughs> what is it? The whole thing would be a preference item. If someone went bankrupt, yeah, you wouldn't be able to take it back until the trustee approved it. Okay, so we're going to run out of time. So let me, I want to get to the, some of the meat. So the, the point is like this. So the, 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 the Tosefta, by the way, according to many, there's a gear here, and that's what the Shal Lieberman brings in Tosefta Kapshuta. He says the, there's a gear that says, that we add the words at the end of Tosefta. By the way, so that's why I just, sorry, before we go there, to answer your question, that's why it's not Matana, it's, it's a sale, and then another sale is done. That's very different than telling the coin I want back my money. Because if you give it to the guy, and by the way, Tosefta says that explicitly, if you give that to the, if you give matana to the guy, your chametz, you're over by your by your it'd be a violation of the Torah law. Rishayim talked it out explicitly. So you, know, you have to be very careful. If it's done, if a guy thinks, oh, I'm going to do it myself. I go to my neighbor, knock on his door, and I tell him, you know, oh, I'm selling you my chametz here, I'm giving it to you as a gift for Pesach, and after Pesach, I'm going to come back and get it back from you. The guy is in, according to most Rishonim, you'd be in violation of Ba'irah, the biblical violation. It would be a problem, because uh, that's not valid, halachically. Matona amanas lasser, a gift, with a stipulation to give it back, is a non-valid, not halachically binding, according to most. So that would be a problem. So it's not that here, that's why we're trying to make sure it's not. But the, the, according to this gears that the Bahag has in Tosefta, it's, he adds on here, Bavachal Yarim. Um, that it shouldn't be any trickery here. It can't be done in trickery. The Ritva there says, and this, and this going on this Tosefta, he calls the Ritva, which is unbelievable. He says, the Ritva says, Vachalo Yarim, he had this Gersa in the Tosefta, and he says, Avalim Harim, Lassus came, Bechol If you do this every year, you go ahead and sell your comments to the guy every year. Listen, these guys are stuck on a boat. So they have no choice. He's saying they had to do it. Says the Ritva, the early authority, says, if you, he says that the Tosefta is coming to tell you, according to this Gersa, if you do this every year, Call Shanim Limkar the guy cut Pesach. You go to guy every year before Pesach. Kansinale says it's hundred percent. He says you give the guy a knas. It could be technically valid. It sounds like he's saying, but we would not allow all the Jews to eat their chametz. Meaning it would be chametz shavar al Pesach. We have the din, have the halach of chametz that a Jew owned during Pesach, and we would give a knas. That's the ritvaz, and he brings the miri. He brings many other rishonim which agree to this. Now in Shulchan Aruch, just to. Don't get scared off. So basically, according to the summer shanum, it's 100% prohibited to, if you do it every year, that's sort of a trick, which is what we do. Right, expecting you to come back, and then it makes it a trick, and therefore it's problematic. We don't pass like this, Rishonim, thank God. Uh, the Shulchan Aruch brings it, it doesn't mention this Gersa, and it's a question of Gersa, really. They didn't have this Gersa in the Tosefta, this edition, meaning there's different editions in the, this quote that was written in the times of the Mishnah. So, so the Ritva, again, the Shulchan Aruch brings the Tosefta, this law you could sell your chametz, and he brings it as normative, and uh, he doesn't quote this Ritva, um, he doesn't quote it, okay? Um, but, and the Mishnah Buru, by the way, also seems to apply, That's, this is why also many people don't sell real chametz, because there's another question, can you sell, you ever heard people some say, I don't sell my real chametz, they only sell like the, what's called chametz nature, mixtures of chametz, so they won't sell spaghetti, I'm not one of those, it's a chumrah, 
from the, the Vilna guy and was uh, agreed with this Khamra. It's a, it's a stringency. According again, according to the Mishnah Buru, according to the Arach Shulchan, you could do a chachilu, you could sell real chametz. There's a stringency. The Vilna Gaon um, had a stringency because of these other opinions. He did not sell actual chametz, like bread. Because your hot dog buns are in the back of your freezer that are, you know, freezer burned for the last six months. He doesn't say that. You know, anyway, it's time to get rid of that. That's the truth. It's a good time to get rid of that um, those buns anyway. But point is, you have real chametz. Pasta would be real chametz. Most other things are mixtures. Let's say even even alcohol is questionable. It's machlag because it's considered chametz naksha. I sell alcohol, but I don't sell actual chametz. So that's a chumrah. This is good to be aware. Like waffle or something like no, that. No, if it's so I'm saying if it's made from flour and it's a mixture, then it's real chametz. Again, it, it speak to your local Orthodox rabbi about it's a stringency. Mr. Brewer clearly says it's okay. Um, and that seems to be the normative policy today, unless you live in Lakewood, is to sell real chametz also. Um, we allow all the, st- the commercial stores in town to sell real chametz. The HK allows them. So, um, um, so let's say, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about this chumrah. Um, I'm saying if you want to, because the guy was, was concerned about it. Um, Ravar and Cuddler, that's why Lakewood is, has this chumrah. Ravar and Cuddler didn't sell real chametz. So there are people who, who do it. Actually, interesting enough, there are um, also Biyashabar Salvechik also did not sell real chametz. According to Rav Shachter, um, he did not sell uh, real chametz. But if it was in your possession, there are, by the way, there's another thing. Rishonim say, if it's not actually in your home, the chametz is somewhere else, then there's another leniency. So that would be another leniency you could rely on to sell. In either case, so that's, that's more or less the, the, um, the common practice is to sell real chametz, and it's, and it's accepted. Um, but, but again, as we mentioned, there's a big difference between what's happening in the Tosefta and what's happening today in our selling of chametz. Um, in the sense of, as we said, there's, it's, it's a, first of all, we have the chametz in our possession. We're leaving the chametz in our home, as opposed to now. So that's, a, that's very different um, than what happened there on the boat. And we do a lechatchila. Okay, so now just to go to, to, to I'll show you the video at the end. I'm going to show you the, um, the just what happens if you have stacks, because I don't want to run out of time for discussing stacks, because not everyone was ever in the book. Well, chill, you here? Okay, good. So, so a few people were here, so they know the answer, but uh, just the, the question becomes, what happens if you have stock in Nabisco or in uh, Bimbo Bread or whatever it is? That, that actually, the, the company, what they produce is chametz. I mean, technically, the problem is not only um, with if the company produces chametz. If they own chametz, every company has a... You know, things for, you know, they have chametz somewhere in the company. So that could also be a problem. The question is, and the, the question boils down to basically is, do I have to sell that stock? Because do we view a stockholder as a actual partner in the company? He's a part owner. He owns one, if I have one stock in Nabisco, so I'm one, say so I have a million stocks, I'm one one millionth owner of every Oreo cookie, right? Um, I have one one millionth ownership in every Oreo cookie. Technically, you could argue that. Or do you say, um, that it says, I put that on the sheet here, it's not a question of, I don't really own the assets, I'm somewhat of a creditor. It's another way of looking at stocks, I and mean, the people who are involved in, in the market can help us out here, meaning I don't, I don't know, you know, it's legally how is it viewed. Am I just a creditor, meaning I have an investment in this company, sort of like a, the, what we do for a hectare risk, what's the hectare that you could have corporations, you, uh, you could own stocks corporations that charge interest. 
I mean, even those non-Jews. So the way right, every bank in Israel has hanging in a frame is 25 years old. It's all yellow. Um, you know, you walk into most banks, you know, at least in Yerushalayim, they'll have a hatarisk hanging on the wall, which says that this is a business, it's a business investment. The loan is not a loan. It's not cashed in terms of loans. It's cashed in the term of business investments, which, by the way, was upheld twice in American courts, not federal, but state courts. Twice in, I believe, they're both in New York. New York State Court upheld a hatariska as a valid, um, even though it was in Hebrew in one case, but it was a valid transaction. One case was a guy who, who, um, he was, to, of course, a Jewish guy was charging, uh, what's it called, usury, above the usury rates. It was like 27%. He was charging interest, just above the, it's illegal. So, um, say, the, the other guide took him to the court. And the guy produced that at the risk. He said, it's not a loan. I'm allowed to charge whatever he wants. It's an investment. I'm giving him returns on the investment. He's giving me returns, whatever, whatever it is. He's paying me returns. So it's couched in, in, in business terms, and the court's upheld. So the question here would be, when it comes to stocks, how... We view it from a legal perspective. How is it viewed? Are you a part owner? Are you just a creditor, so to speak? You investing money. But either way, you're benefiting from the profits that are being generated. Yeah, so that's that already have a law. Meaning, so if it's a company that only produces chametz, right? If you're in Nabisco and you're producing, so Nabisco doesn't only have chametz. They also produce. They produce Oreos. They produce other stuff too, which is not ochan chametz nature. So that is a concept of have law, which means just like on Shabbos. Now, there's a quite big question. Moshe Feinstein has a trivia. How could you make even your bank, you're, you're giving you your compound interest daily, if your bank is, if your, your savings account, even is set up compound interest daily, so you're making money on jobs. So technically, it's havla. That means, so if it's compound interest daily, Moshe says it's a problem. And he says you have to figure out at the end of the year, figure out how much money you made all Saturdays of the year, and give that to Tzedakah. Okay, so that is no one, I never heard of anyone doing that, but Rebecca says you should do that if you have compound interest daily. But the other way, if it's not daily, it's so even though Saturday is included in your interest, you're making money for shops, it's called Avla. Avla, there's a heter and Allah, which is swallowed up. As long as you're, it's coming together with the profit of the other days of the week, just like a rabbi. How could a rabbi get paid for Shabbos, for a sermon on Shabbos about Kairi? So the way it works is since he's prepared during the week, so we're paying him for that. It's all part of the law that we're paying him for his time during the week too. So that's, what, that's why the rabbis allow to work on Shabbos. Many, there are many rabbis who don't. Thank God. Um, work on Shabbos. <laughs> um, the, the, some rabbis don't work all year. The bottom line is that, that um, the, so how do we view stocks? So what would you say? How would uh, help us out here? You're really just getting a percentage of the profit. Unless you're, unless you're such a big owner that you, that you really care that you actually have voting, that you care about your voting shares. And in some cases, you can buy stocks that, that have no voting shares. Well, you're not getting a percentage of profit unless you're getting a dividend. You're otherwise just an equity investor, and that's where your stake is in the company. You have an ownership interest in the company. So you say you have an ownership. You would yeah. say it's classified as an ownership. That's, yeah. You have a share in the company. Right, right. So if you say that, then right. it's a problem. Yeah. You have to sell your stock. So, so but this a corporation legally is considered a separate entity. Even uh, there's mm-hmm. Supreme Court that say a corporation a is a, considered a person. Right. Yeah, it is. What do you mean? It's a separate entity. It means that so you're no, uh, so you're not you, the it's a separate. It's, it's own entity. That it's you're not the entity, and it's considered no different than a person. Right. The Supreme Court has said that. So that so that would be fine. That means I'm not the owner as a shareholder. Yeah, because you can't. By the way, there's a lot of discussion. This by the way. Your question. Of ownership. We're out of time, so let me. Yeah, I want to get the to the company. The company itself is the one that wants to exactly, yes. yes. Right. So the company owns the company. It's not my problem. The company is yeah. no. There's a fictitious. Right. Company. So theoretically, it's not a person. 
through technically might be an entity. Well, there, the law treats it as a separate person, and it does. Not a person, an entity. It does. No, the Supreme entity. Court says no. We treat a corporation no, as can't a, person. Be a person. There is no it's person. It's an entity. It can't be a person. Yeah. No, but it's no, no different than a person. There's no difference. Say, yeah. We don't. That entity is not a Jewish an entity. entity. Not a person. The point yeah. is that entity. If we, if you view it like that, if you tell me there's a Supreme Court ruling, yeah. so then that entity is not a person. We don't care. That, that entity could own come. It's not my problem. Yeah. Right. According to that. But if we don't view it, meaning, so the question. This, by the way, the question was posed. It was a question, by the way, in a smicha test in 1915 or something in the Hildesheimer, Germany, in the Hildesheimer um, uh, seminary, which was a German seminary for training rabbis. Um, so this question was posed by Rabbi Hildesheimer on the final exam before Smicha. There was a German com beer company, and the question was, if someone owns stock in this German beer company, do they have to sell it or not? So there's around 15 different answers that were written up from that final exam that Hildesheimer, um, on the test, he noted them, and they're published in different form later throughout life. So basically, what he says there, and I'm just going to read you, um, he says, since the stockholder, this is from, uh, it's based on a tshuva, but it's taken from the test of, of that uh, final exam. It says, since the stockholder is on Yashidir, since the stockholder has no right to do anything at the plant of his own accord, and certainly has no right to destroy the chametz, he is not a violation of only chametz. Meaning, basically, what this Sefer was say, seems to be saying is, quoting from that final exam, is, and Rav Hildesheimer seems to have agreed with it, which is that uh, since I don't have control over it, even if you want to say I'm an owner, and that's the question here. Meaning, he's saying you don't have control. You can't walk into me as a, as a, I own ten shares in Nabisco. I'm going to go to their stockholder annual stockholder meeting. I'm going to say, you know, I want to feel like I'm a, I'm a macher. So I go to the stockholder meeting. After the stockholder meeting, I go into the office and I say, okay, now I want to take this chair out. Well, give me a tour of, you know, I want to take a, and obviously they're going to call security and they're going to escort you out of the building, right? Even though you own uh, a number of shares in the company. Clearly, you don't have a right. Owning means, gives you zero control. You have a vote, maybe, on the, on the stockholder and the annual stockholder meeting. You have one vote, which is probably worth us also, because I'm not sure what that's worth either, right? So you technically have no control. So says Veldesheimer, or agrees to these opinions on the test, that since you have zero control over any assets in the company, you're not considered an owner. Okay, even though maybe you might have disagreed with the Supreme Court, but that's not considered an ownership. And that's based on what's the rationale for that? So it's based on the Gemara. The Gemara, the so Gemara. If you own 100%, the whole concept changes under oh, his view. Of course. View. If you're a majority stockholder, we'll see. Moshe says it's a problem. And it is a problem. Now, the bottom line is uh, this is based on the Gemara. It's not just talking. Do we find the Gemara Psachim discusses weird scenarios? They didn't have a stock market, they didn't have stocks then, but the Gemara discusses if you find if the Chametz is on top of a beam where you can't reach it and no, you can't get it down. The Chametz, one of the cases the Gemara discusses is what happens if you have Chametz in the mouth of a snake? You had Chametz, and now you, before you got a chance to be Mavatla to sell it, um, for Pesach, a snake comes and it's in the snake's mouth. Am I if the Gemara has to hire a snake charmer to get the snake to get the chametz out before Pesach starts? Chametz, the snake is sitting there. As we know, the snake sits there in their stomach. You see all the videos where it's a, a fat snake, right? So it ate a loaf of bread. It's sitting there in your living room. Okay, now, do I have to mechuyev to, to hire a snake charmer to get the to get the snake to you know to regurgitate the bread or whatever, spit it out of its mouth, and and now and then be mivatol? So says the Gemara. The Gemara blabs teku. Actually, Mara doesn't have a good answer, but Gamara, the Rishayim, they talk about what's, wh why, what's the side you don't have to, because you have no control. Okay, because since you have no control over that Chametz, so the question is two ways I put down it. It's different Rishayim understand the difference. One says like this, it says Chametz in the mouth of the snake still belongs to the owner, Taka belongs to you. You are the owner of that bread in the mouth of the snake. But what? But you don't have to destroy it since currently you have no access or control over it. 
So that alone gets you out of it, sort of a loophole, gets you out of bittel, because since I can't be mevatel, there's no way for me to get into the snake's mouth, so therefore it's a, it's, I don't have to be mevatel. That's one way to understand it, which would work here for the stocks. So since, even though I own the stock, let's say he's saying like the Gary said, because the Supreme Court tells me I own the stock, I'm taka the owner. I have a part ownership, a one one millionth ownership of that company. But the fact that I have no control and no access to to, what, to my assets that I own, I'm potter. I'm not over Bali Ra, Bali That's one way to understand it according to the Yerushan. If you go with the second way, so according to Amahalchi, you wouldn't have to sell your stock. According to the, the B on the sheet here, Chametz in the mouth of the snake is already destroyed since the owner will not be able to recover. What we're saying is, you don't own it anymore. Even though the bread exists in the mouth of the snake, but since you, there's no, you, technically you'll never see it again, it's sort of like Yish, it's, it's gone from you, and you're never going to be able to have control over it again, therefore you don't own it. Now according to that, according to that understanding, that's a problem. Because according to that, if it's in the snake's mouth, that's not a good analogy to stocks. Because stocks, you will have control over it when you sell it, before Pesach, you could have control. You get the dividends out. You can sell short before Pesach, and it's fine, right? So it's very different. You're going to have control over your stock. So according to that shot in the Rishonim, that the snake explaining the the pinachash, the, the mouth, the snake's mouth. So then there's no heter not to sell your stocks. So depending on which, how you understand the Gemara Tzachim, the Fiyudam Beis of chametz in the snake's mouth, that would depend if you have to sell your stock or not. Okay, now there are, Ramesha, by the way, also writes, I understand the time, so I'm going to say, has a tshuva, discussing this, and he also says, he, he says, even though you own it since you have no control, similar concept, as the filter sign was saying, um, he says, uh, this is in Yerdeh Aleph, he says, uh, he's going really, he's not calling chametz, he's going on Shabbos, he says a similar thing, if you have a majority um, holdings in the company, so you're a majority stockholder, he says then you would have to you can't you would have to be worried about Shabbos. But since you have no control, and even though he says you can vote, but you have no real control of the company and you're not a majority stockholder, the question is he doesn't use the word majority. No, he says you have to have en- enough. He says that's not called cool, that's not a problem. Again he's not he's not going on Khamits here, but clearly the same they, they want to take his truth and apply it to Khamits. Um, similar concept that if you'd be a majority stockholder, if you'd be actually sitting on the board of directors then you have some control, then you would have to sell your stock before Pesach. Now, so, so basically everyone, more or less, everyone's mekel, enormously mekel. There is the Minchas Yitzchak, Ayn Weiss, and Eretz Yisrael, and, uh, and uh, also, um, also uh, Sternbach, they're machmer on this question of stock, and they say you need to sell your stock. So, so the question now becomes, how do you sell it? Because now you have a securities issue. Because if you're going to put it in the star with the rabbi, you're going to write down on the bottom, I'm also selling these uh, 100 shares in Nabisco. So the problem becomes now, is that even legal? Is that a legal transaction? This is where we need the traders right, involved. Like Meaning because the, yeah. uh, the Securities Commission says you need a license. Is it a valid transaction or not? So what would you say? I think the transaction is valid because it's, you know, it's a private transaction that you can go and you can figure out there could be some issues in terms of how you post the trade and... Right, the question is now, after Pesach, let's say the guy goes out and sells it. Can he recover? Because who, who's the company going to pay the dividends? Well, that's the Jew the, or the Yid? If the, what's called, if you happen to have it over the record date, then you need to make sure that the non-Jew is the one that collects the dividend. That's going to be hard. That's good. Non-Jew, yeah, but how's he going to collect right, it? Right, because somehow, somehow the company has to be informed of who's the, you know, who's the holder of record. 
Right, so meaning, so let's say I let it tell the company, I sold it, in my, you know, I sold it to the guy. The rabbi says he sold it. Is that going to help? Does the company pay the, the, the true pay it based on that? Is that a true sale? Right, there is, right, and that's why, you know, when it goes through the exchange, it's very simple, it's very easy. Right, to but it's not going through the exchange. It's the question, the bottom line is the question, you signed in, sweet? Yes, you um, so if, meaning, should we recommend people doing it or not? Meaning, it's a chumrah. We say most, most Muslims say you don't have to do it. It's a stringency. But if they put it, meaning, is it going to help even if you put it into the... Thank you.